Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I am so excited to have Elizabeth Boswick on the podcast today. After 14 years as a classroom teacher, Elizabeth is now an instructional coach supporting K-12 teachers. She's a blogger, presenter, and author of a new book, Take the Leap, Ignite a Culture of Innovation. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And Elizabeth, I love having guests on the show with very different titles because I think there's a perception in education that to be a leader, you need to fill a position in administration at the campus or district level. Will you please describe your role and why did you decide to become an instructional coach? So I decided to become an instructional coach because I saw the power of working collaboratively with fellow educators. I had a lot of great experiences in my classroom over the 14 years of working with students from grades K through five. And then I also transitioned to, while I was being a teacher, also serving as a grade level chair. And through some of our collaborative work, I really got excited about the idea of supporting teachers in a different role with really being able to get my hands dirty and be by their side in the classroom and not just provide ideas, but use reflective questioning to help teachers think of new approaches that would be more effective with students. And Elizabeth, prior to your current role, what was one of the most impactful experiences you had as a teacher that enhanced your skills as a leader? One of the most impactful experiences that I've had as a teacher that have helped me now as an instructional coach are really working directly with my students. I was able to see a lot of what worked, what didn't work, what was most effective. And of course, every group of students is completely different um, each year. And even throughout the year, you can might get a new student in and it can change the scope of everything that you're doing. Um, but all of those experiences really added to my, my toolbox of skills. And additionally, just serving as grade level chair and working collaboratively with my phenomenal team. I mean, I worked with the most dynamic team of teachers um, where I just left and taking time to really reflect on what they were doing, observing what they were doing and engaging in those reflective conversations are really what enhanced my skills. What was your biggest misconception as you moved from being a classroom teacher to an instructional coach? I would say that my biggest misconception for me was that more classrooms were similar to the ones that I was already accustomed to. That might sound kind of funny to think like, of course, every classroom is going to be different. But I think sometimes you you forget that things are different than what you're familiar with. And even though I'm really connected with educators on social media, that was another piece though. I think because I've been so connected with educators, I had this idea of what it was going to look like going into other schools. It's really required me to slow down and get a better understanding of what's happening in different rooms and taking the pulse on the teachers that I'm working alongside. And which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? Well, I would have to say that by nature, I'm a pleaser. And so I've always wanted to do my best. I wanted everybody to be really happy with everything that I was doing. And so for me, it was identifying how do you pause, reflect, and just approach situations with what's best for the school community, not what's going to please that person right in the moment, and not telling somebody just what they want to hear. But sometimes it might mean we're going to have to have some difficult conversations. We may not always agree to what we're going to be doing, but it's really coming back to what's best for the school community and having a stronger sense of self. The more experience that I've developed, the better I've really become at this. 
And what do you find is the most difficult part of being an instructional coach? I think the most difficult thing about being an instructional coach is that while I work with phenomenal teachers who are all working at different rates and doing amazing work in their classrooms and using all types of instructional strategy, I think that the most difficult piece for me is that sometimes I just want to get in and lead the class. And it's not because the teachers are doing anything wrong or anything like that, but I love instructional strategy. I love facilitating learning. And I get that urge to just teach the students. So fortunately, I work alongside teachers who will either let me model a lesson or co-teach with them. That's really been helpful. How would you define an educational leader and what are some other ways our aspiring leaders can help make an immediate impact? In my definition, if you're aspiring to be a leader, it's really about looking at how you can be intentional about adding value to others that you work alongside. How do you uplift? How do you add value? How do you really take the time to leverage the strengths of others? But of course, first you have to identify what those strengths are. And I think it's really about valuing that every single one of us has something completely different to bring to the table. I also think that within the realm of leadership, we need to be looking at, of course, we, we know that we're going to have our superintendents, we're going to have our principals of the building, but also looking at the idea that every single one of us in every role is a leader, even our students are leaders in the classroom. And I think to be effective in growing as a leader, it's really about not always looking for where do I need to seek the permission, but how do we develop that culture of yes, and really inspire everybody to step up as a risk taker and lead those changes that we want to see happen in our schools. As an instructional leader, if you're in a classroom and maybe you see something that needs to improve, how do you go about that and what strategies do you use? Well, for me, it's really about creating a relationship first with teachers. It's never my role to walk right in and say, hey, here's a new idea or here's a different strategy. But it's really about taking the time to connect to the individual and get to know them, build that trusting relationship in order for people to invite me into the classroom, because we don't we don't have a structure, first of all, where I'm scheduled to work with teachers at different points throughout the day or week or month. But really, my role is to connect with teachers and be able to identify how I can support them. And so a lot of that is on the teacher to reach out to me to say, hey, I would like support with this or can you help me with this? But we all know the teacher's day is crazily busy. So I'm really intentional about going around, stopping in classrooms, not interrupting, of course, but stopping in and making those connections and just saying, hey, touching base, how's everything going? And the more I'm just in the classroom, sometimes just being a second set of hands on some days, that's when they understand, teachers will understand that I'm not there as an evaluator, I'm not there to critique, but I'm there to be a support system so that we can make the experiences in the classroom better for kids. And we all know teachers have a crazy job. They are they are on their feet and they are going from the minute the kids walk into the door to the minute the kids leave. And many of our teachers are working after hours and on the weekends too. So whatever I can do to help support the teachers, that's really what I look to do. You know, once we have the relationships developed, following up after a lesson saying, hey, what do you, what did you really like about that lesson? And maybe offering something that I saw that was really strong in the lesson. And sometimes it might be focusing not on the, what the teacher did, but to focus on what the learner did. And that way it shifts the focus from the teacher behavior a little bit initially to 
I noticed this child seemed a little bit disengaged. Why do you think that might? Or, wow, did you see how on fire this group of students was? I listened to their conversations and they were on point. And just those conversations initially help teachers to get thinking about, okay, what was going well? What wasn't going well? And they really allow a natural flow or a natural progression into what can we do next? But it requires those relationships first. And you're in a lot of classrooms and at a lot of campuses. What is one area you want to change in education? So one area that I, I would love to change in ed- education, quite frankly, and, it, and it's actually a story that I start out with in my book of Take the Leap, Ignite a Culture of Innovation. But as a classroom teacher, when I first started out teaching, I had a drive to go in and be the difference maker. But I was quickly bogged down with all the demands and the expectations and feeling like I needed to do what the veteran teachers that I was working alongside were doing, which some, was, some of what we were doing was really good. But oftentimes I was becoming disconnected with the relationships with kids and focusing more on homework completion. Is the name on the paper? Were the papers in numbered order? And those were not the most important aspects of what I was doing. And so over the years, I started to shift how I thought about it. But it wasn't until one day that our youngest son brought me a picture. Well, actually, I saw it on our coffee table, but I saw a picture and he looked sad. And I asked him, I'm like, what is going on? Why do you feel so sad in this picture? He explained to me, he's like, well, I just feel that all day I have to sit at school and complete these worksheets. And over top of his head in in the picture was a pencil with wings. And I'm like, well, why do you have a pencil of wings up there? And he said, well, mom, that's that's all that I want to create, make and explore in school. But I can't because I have to read the book that's given to me and I have to do the worksheet that I that I need to complete. I saw that frustration in him and I don't point the finger at the teacher because I think his teacher is a lovely person. And I think she was doing the very best that she knew to do. And oftentimes we teach the way that we were taught. But unfortunately, sometimes when we strip student voice and choice and ultimately don't seek to empower learning, we leave our kids feeling unenthusiastic about learning. I realized in that moment that I probably have left a child feeling the same way in my first few years of teaching. I'm certain that I did. And that is just unacceptable to me. So for me, the the biggest piece that I want to change is that I'm really passionate about looking at how we can increase student agency in the classroom. How can we increase engagement leading to empowerment? How can we create authentic learning opportunities that are relevant to the students? I want to get kids fired up and hooked on learning and so that they want to come to school. And of course, the testing, um, that's not going to go away. We're never going to have more time in our day either. But I really do believe that by fostering future success skills in students, that's where the power is. And that's where we're going to help develop our kids the most. What are some of the ways that you have increased student voice? So for me, I've done all types of things. Um, Sometimes it's basic. Increasing student voice, I've used accountable talk has just been one basic piece where kids are responsible to know how to use sentence stems and sentence frames for speaking with individuals. So rather than turning and talking and just talking at each other, they're having a true conversation, but they have the supports available so that they know how to engage in a conversation and then share out what they and their partner discussed. They also learn how to respectfully disagree. We also use talk moves so that when kids want to add something, say something new, they give a thumbs up. If they wanna say, add on to a friend, they'll give me a two. And then if they agree, they use a hand gesture in class that just shows, I agree with you. That gives even the quietest student 
an opportunity to say, oh, I agree with that that person. And sometimes there's students who don't want to be the risk taker that give the first answer or to a question, or maybe they don't feel comfortable asking a question, but they want to add on to somebody else who has already gotten the ball rolling. Additionally, the other things we've done to increase student voice is just leveraging technology in a way that kids can create, collaborate, and communicate. So within Google Classroom, even Microsoft 365, they can be able to comment on one another's writing that they do, or um, if you're creating in Google Docs, they can collaborate in there, but they can communicate too. In math, we've used a lot of um, Book Creator and Explain Everything so that kids can take videos of themselves, embed them, take pictures of their math, explain their thinking, add on a new strategy. And all of those little pieces go together to really increase student voice. Um, We also did flexible seating where kids would select their seat in the beginning of the day using a seating chart. And that really helped us to maintain the organization and some kind of structure where they would select where they wanted to sit by moving their name to that seating area um, on the board that I had. So just empowering students to start thinking about how they learn best, where they learn best, and how to communicate with others effectively has really helped in the classroom. What is one initiative you've implemented on your campus or at your district level that you are extremely proud of? Oh, there's a lot of things that we've done over the years. I would say one that I've been extremely proud of is when we've brought Makerspace to our school district that I was at prior to the role that I'm in now. And it's been really amazing just to see kids go in and what they're creating. And it's really neat because as a teacher, you can have it look any way you want. You could do a whole class project or you could develop the structure so that kids know how to be responsible and independent to create something of their own. But I will say sometimes it was hard to find the time to just go to the makerspace. And so we wanted to make it more of a natural flow. Not that we couldn't find the time, but more so we couldn't find time enough to go. So one thing that we did within our own classroom is I had a student say, I wish we could go to the makerspace more. And I said, I know, but there's so many other classrooms or, you know, sometimes we felt like we had things in our room to do and they had an idea. And this is, again, goes back to student voice and choice, but they had the idea. Could we have a classroom makerspace? And I thought on it and going back to the culture of yes, too. I said, well, why not? And so we had bins and within cabinets and a rollout cart that I had, we had opportunities for kids to engage in coding. We had stations where they were creating with all types of different materials, but they had Ozobots and Dash and Dot. And we were fortunate to be able to either borrow those from the makerspace and some were just directly in our classroom. But I would say that was probably the most impactful just because they were able to make on a daily basis and continue what they were starting. And making didn't have to be always hands-on with coding robotics or materials. Sometimes kids were creating books within Book Creator using an outline. And sometimes they were creating, they were writing their own stories in Google Docs. So um, we even had a couple kids that had created their own kind of slime with different scents and different textures or different colors. And then they created a site that was advertising it, even though the site didn't go out to anybody else. But it was really neat to see what they came up with on their own. You've offered up some great suggestions. Have you ever received any criticism on your strategies? And if so, how did you work through that? Let me think on that. That's a great question. Honestly, don't recall receiving any negative feedback. And here's why. I don't think that I've had any negativity associated with anything that I do 
because we are not sitting around making all day. All of our making is connected back with learning standards. I mean, no matter what we're doing, we're fostering growth mindset, innovators mindset. We're looking at kids identifying how they can help themselves and develop more independence. And they are constantly integrating ELA reading strategies. A lot of the things that we're doing with technology is used to enhance and deepen the math. So while we may do the makerspace in the morning, that was the first 20 minutes of the day that was very flexible because that's before all the buses were always there. But fortunately for our class, we had almost all kids there by that point, or some kids maybe having breakfast while participating in something. And so we really were very intentional about whatever we were doing that was like maker education or coding, how is it always connecting back to the learning? We still have communication standards to be hitting and technology standards and we really saw the learning of students deepen from these strategies because instead of having kids chronically absent, we had kids wanting to be at school. And if we started the day out with the first 20 minutes where they had choice of what they wanted to create and make, they were turning right around to join us for math, ready to go. Engines were running just where we wanted them to be, and they were engaged. Um, even in math, when we do use some direct instruction to be able to teach some of our strategies, we do a lot of collaborative learning structures, but then they get the, the accessibility to leverage the technology to create their own thinking and demonstrate that thinking. So I think it's all about taking what you may think is traditional and really just deepening it and enhancing it. You could even say you're just adding some glitter to it to make it better. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so for those who haven't had the opportunity to read Take the Leap, can you just give us a quick synopsis for our aspiring leaders? Sure. Well, Take the Leap Ignite a Culture of Innovation, it really, it's an acronym. Leap is an acronym and it stands for Luminous Culture. And the point of that is to shine a light on every individual's creative potential Empowered learning is about encouraging students to take ownership of their education. Authenticity in learning is looking at how do we tap into passions to create relevant learning experiences so that ultimately your passion, your potential, and that of your students truly soars. And we want to ignite a movement of inspired, confident learners. And so the, the book is really written to inspire and support educators to take steps to grow beyond traditional and self-imposed boundaries. And it includes strategies that will help any educators challenge conventional thinking and create the conditions that empower meaningful learning. So I have a large focus in the book on collaborative leadership, developing trust and relationships, because, you know, I see a lot of schools sometimes that want to do coding or they want to bring in technology, but they're oftentimes missing the the huge foundation of trust and relationships in the classroom and what are the best and most highly effective instructional strategies so that kids are collaborating and communicating efficiently in the classroom before we start bringing those pieces in? My hope is that we can really inspire curiosity, empower learning, just cultivating greater autonomy in learners. In addition to your coaching position, you speak at conferences, you blog, and you're very active on social media. How did you find your voice beyond your district? That's a great question. You know, I had jumped on Twitter and I was there just very quiet for years. It probably wasn't even opening my Twitter. And then I had attended a model schools conference back in 2016. I do think my husband was at a leadership conference prior to that. He's a principal at a five, six building. And I remember he was on Twitter and I was kind of following along with what was going on at that conference. And then it really took off when I went to the model schools conference back in 2000. Actually, I think that was 2015. And at that time, it was new and it was exciting. And the it 
felt like the doors just opened right up to being able to connect with educators. I was getting new ideas that I could constantly bring into my classroom. If I had a problem, I could connect with somebody and ask for help. And it was really encouragement from other educators that I met on social media who said, you should blog. And I thought, why? Why would I blog? What do I have to offer? And that's one thing that I've really learned is that every single educator has something to offer. I never look at myself like, oh, I'm better than this other teacher because I don't believe that's true. I really believe that every single educator has all gone through challenges and had their strengths and their their great moments, but we learn from every single one of those. And there's no need to hide what's gone wrong because if we, as long as we learn from it, sharing that is what's so powerful. So I think being connected on social media is incredible and I would suggest anybody to connect with other educators. And in closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? I think the most enjoyable aspect for me being a leader is inspiring others to lead alongside you. There are a lot of people with great ideas who wait and seek permission or don't take the initiative because they think it's not their role. So as a leader myself, I really look at how do I add value? How do I empower others to bring something to the table, to share an idea, um, to get the ball rolling so that we can all move forward? And I think that when you start seeing others really kick off and soar, that's when you know you're doing the right work. And Elizabeth, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Well, you can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter using at Elisa Bostwick. And I'm going to spell that out. It's E-L-I-S-A-B-O-S-T-W-I-C-K. And I'm also on Facebook. Just search my name, Elizabeth Bostwick. The only complication is that I do have an S in place of the Z in my name. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast. And if you've gotten any value from the show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. It was a pleasure.